You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. Students, like adults, of course, exhibit various behaviors during their time in school. Sometimes these behaviors may distract the student from learning effectively and or may distract others in the room as well. For a child with special needs, these atypical behaviors may be hard to figure out and resolve. A Functional Behavioral Assessment, or FBA, can assist in understanding why a child is behaving in a certain way and what supports or behavioral interventions can be used to help the child perform better. Dr. Denise Ekman joins me again today to talk about performing an FBA. She teaches us what an FBA looks like, who it is designed to help, how long it takes, and how it is tested and verified. Be sure to check out her previous podcast about ABA and verbal behavior. You can find that at csnlg.com slash listen. All right, enjoy the conversation. Dr. Denise Ekman, thanks for joining me again on the program today. Thank you for having me. Well, today we're going to talk about Functional Behavioral Assessment, or FBA, for those of us that are in the know. I don't claim to be in the know, but perhaps after listening to you today, we're all going to be in the know, right? Yes. Great. Okay. So let's start with that. What is Functional Behavioral Assessment? Can you give us an overview of what it is, please? Well, a Functional Behavior Assessment is an assessment that is generally looked at um, considering to be a problem-solving process for addressing behaviors of concern. So with the behavior, a functional behavior assessment, we look beyond, you know, the diagnostic labels or what the behavior may look like and really try to obtain information from the environment and observations and even some direct um, analysis um, to obtain that information to see, to determine what the function of those challenging behaviors are, meaning the reason why those behaviors are occurring, and then what would be the appropriate interventions to either um, to either manipulate the environment so those behaviors don't need to occur, or to teach replacement um, behaviors in in place of the challenging behaviors. So, what types of students typically uh, are part of an FBA? Is it just kids with special needs, or may it be more typically developing kids as well? Um, for the most part, FBAs are conducted for, with um, children or students with um, special needs, but it is effective across, um, you know, a variety of different populations, even general education students, where, you know, maybe there's just some, um, some uh, you know, ish, little issue or, or, you know, not really understanding why some behaviors are occurring. So, again, it is typically done with special needs students, but there is research out there that it can be done with a variety of populations. And what does it look like? So you've decided to do an FBA. What does that mean? Like, what do you do from from your point of view? Well, in general, the what we want for the the overall result is that we want to be able to number one, um, you know, be able to define um, the behaviors we're looking at because that's important because. If we have a good observational, um, I'm sorry, operational definition of a behavior, it means that anyone can look at that behavior and know exactly what it is that we're measuring, and that gives us the accurate data. Um, we also want to um, identify the events and situations that can predict those those challenging behaviors, and when and will and when and when when they will and will not occur. And then we also want to um, identify the functions of those behaviors. 
um, meaning what is the reason behind those behaviors, you know, and typically, you know, the research shows that there are four typical um, functions or reasons why behind behaviors. Um, number one is to either access attention, uh, whether it's, um, you know, social, positive or negative attention, to access tangibles or activities, so things or items, um, to escape or avoid, um, you know, difficult or non-preferred tasks or activities or even people. And then the fourth is usually, you know, called automatic or um, self-stimulatory, which is meaning that um, it's automatically, those behaviors are automatically reinforcing to me. Um, I don't need anybody else to give me or take anything away for it to be reinforcing. Um, and so we want, and then uh, and additionally to that, once we identify those functions, we want to be able to identify the appropriate interventions to, um, like I said earlier, to either make it so those behaviors don't even need to occur or to teach those replacement behaviors um, to something more appropriate. And so what it typically would look like, um, I would, you know, um, observe the student or child in their natural settings because you want to be able to see these behaviors occurring where they naturally would occur. Um, so, you know, being able to observe the student across um across you know many different settings and situations and times of day so that we can um, uh, we can see those behaviors occurring and then also see what the natural consequences of those behaviors are, whether it's from teachers or parents or other peers, um, to really get a good um, uh, get a good data get a good data on what exactly is happening, you know what's happening prior to the behavior occurring, what behavior is occurring, and what happens right after. Um, and then um, um, an FBA can also include interviews with, you know, important people in the child's life, such as parents, teachers, you know, other caregivers, you know, people who are involved and, you know, may have some insight into the behaviors of the child and, you know, what's been reinforcing and not been reinforcing. Um, and then um, after the observations and, you know, the interviews and whatnot, and um, depending on the uh, the uh, the hypothesis that we may have on the behavior, we, we may want to do a functional analysis, which just means that we manipulate the environment or manipulate conditions to test our hypothesis. So if I want, if I believe that this child's, um, you know, hitting behavior is because he wants to escape and avoid tasks, I may set up the environment to test those different conditions to see if it really is occurring more in that condition of wanting to escape and avoid difficult tasks. Um, and then um, once all that data is collected, um, you know, that would be presented in a report along with uh, interventions um, to utilize not only prior to the behavior occurring, like I said before, so that the behavior doesn't even need to occur, but also after the behavior occurs and what replacement skills we can teach to do for the child to do instead of those challenging behaviors. Okay. Wow. So you observe the child, you come up with a hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, and then you come up with behavioral interventions or alternatives based on what you learned. How long does all that take? It doesn't sound like it's something easy. Um, it really can depend. Um, again, it's about the um, the, uh, the types of observations that you can have. Um, you know, I could observe a child for days and hours and may not see any of the behaviors occurring, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. It could be because, you know, the child knows that someone's watching them or is just having a good week. Mm -hmm. Um, or, um, or, you know, I, 
we could be able to observe, you know, these behaviors occurring in, um, you know, in, in a short time, you know, just again, depending. So for, for the most part, you know, we want to try to have observations, you know, probably, you know, four to six to eight hours would be, um, you know, about average. And then again, but that's why the functional analysis is important as well, because even if we can't, you know, have the opportunity to observe in the natural setting, we can manipulate the environment to kind of reproduce those conditions to see if we can get those behaviors to occur. Ah, okay. Well, let's talk about an example then. So can you give us an example of a student in the past that you've done an FBA on and what you learned and what sort of interventions you determined were best? Sure. So I've conducted, you know, many FBAs over the years and, you know, very few have surprised me when, you know, when I've uh, looked at what the functions are, you know, pretty, you know, can be pretty clear what the functions um, of the behavior are, of the behavior are. Um, But I do recall a particular client and he had quite a few SBAs, um, you know, privately funded as well as school district and, you know, several behavior intervention plans based on those SBAs. And his behaviors included protesting and self-injurious behaviors. And for most part, all the majority, all the FBAs, um, you know, did determine or hypothesize that the function was to escape or avoid um, difficult or non-preferred tasks. But however, during my observation and then during the actual functional analysis, which, you know, um, kind of verified my hypothesis, um, it appeared that the protesting and the self-injury behavior really mainly served to uh, function as access to attention, whether it was positive or negative. So the attention that he was getting for engaging in these behaviors was actually what was reinforcing um, the protesting and the self-injury. So prior to this, the interventions that were implemented um, for the function of escape were um, we're actually giving him that attention that he that was reinforcing him and therefore maintained or increased you know the protest and self-injurious behaviors. So after the FBA was conducted and the and the F, the functional analysis was um, was determined to to um, you know, help verify the p- hypothesis, the school and the family was able to um, implement interventions that actually address attention function and um, teaching him replacement skills to gain attention appropriately, and um, that helped decrease the protesting and the self-injurious behaviors. Okay, great. So, I mean, that sort of begs the question then, I mean, so somebody goes in, does the FBA, what are the odds that somebody else would come in and find a totally different situation or come up with a totally different analysis? Um, Well, I think the key might be... um, really testing your hypothesis with that functional analysis. Again, uh, it's not always not always able to because of maybe the situation or if you're in a school setting, although there is research out there and, and kind of new um, different uh, techniques on how to maybe do more school-based functional analysis. It's called trial-based or latency-based, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, that could be part of it as well that, you know, that the... Uh, um, that the other person conducting the FBA may not have had the opportunity to do the functional analysis to verify, or, you know, um, maybe, you know, uh, in their observations, you know, um, didn't maybe did not see the behavior occurring enough to gather enough data on really what was going on, or possibly could be relying too much on indirect 
um, information, which is the interview from parents and teachers and whatnot, because obviously, you know, we definitely would have our own idea. Oh, he's definitely doing this because he doesn't want to do it. But, um, you know, but really, you know, that's the feeling as opposed to really looking at what's going on, looking at the antecedents, the behavior and the consequences. So when you give an FBA, so you finish it up, you give the report to, let's say, the parents and the teachers, are they, are they, what is often their reaction? Are they surprised? Like, oh, really? I didn't see that? Or does it usually confirm what they already knew or thought they knew? Again, that may depend on, you know, what the previous um, thoughts or the expectations were of, you know, the, the, um, of the parents or the teachers. Um, you know, I've conducted uh, FBAs, whether it be for, um, for um, prior to implementing ABA services, or, you know, if parents disagree with school districts, FBAs, and ask for an independent um, evaluator come in. So it really just depends, you know, my, um, someone coming in to do an FBA when the parents disagree, um, you know, I may, I may agree with the, with the findings, or I may mm-hmm. have a different outlook on the findings. And it really just depends on, you know, what the prior um, kind of impressions were before. I want to ask you a question about biases. Um, so, you know, you talked about the f- four things, the attention, tangibles, getting items, escape or avoidance, and say self-stimulation. Do you, do you think people after a while, they think, you know, almost every kid's going to be attention or escape. And so when you go in, your brain is kind of looking for, for a way to justify your current biases for reasons for behaviors. Do you think that has an impact or something you have to work on as, a, as a, somebody who's doing these observations? Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's why I think every um, evaluator or every person who conducts an FBA may have their kind of own way of going about it so that they're not, um, like you said, biased towards one way or another. And typically for me, um, I like to go in without really having talked to anyone or getting any prior information regarding Uh what other people's impressions were, just so that I can really look at what's going on, um, you know, what's happening right before what the behavior was, and then what happened after, and then did that behavior continue, or did it, you know, decrease, or or um, were replacement skills being used? So that way, so for me, that's one way that I can kind of counteract maybe some of that bias that you know is going to be natural to anyone as a human being. Okay, gotcha. So what about cost? So you know, there's a cost benefit to this. If uh, my child is having uh, issues with Again, let's go back, for example, the example of circle time. He was hitting somebody during circle time. And so I'd, maybe I have to pay on the outside to have somebody come in and do it. Is it, is it worth the cost? I mean, maybe like we could talk about how much the overall cost is and then some of the long-term benefits that people will see from it. Well, I mean, like I said, I've conducted FBAs for a variety of reasons. Typically, um, you know, either for clients who are um, looking to receive ABA or Applied Behavior Analysis Services. Mm -hmm. So, you know, depending on their funding source, that could be just part of, um, you know, that funding source that the funding source would actually um, be uh, um, funding and authorizing those those, uh, those, uh, units or those uh, hours for towards the FBA. Um, and, uh, other, other times that I've conducted FDAs were again, like I said, when parents disagree with, um, the, uh, the school district FDAs and either the parent or the school district will contact, um, uh, myself or anyone else who conducts these FDAs to do an independent evaluation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, either 
either school districts tend to um, to contract with the evaluators or sometimes parents can become reimbursed um, depending on, I think, the outcome or what was agreed upon in the, um, in the IEP. So I haven't had too many opportunities of parents um, uh, uh, looking to, to seek an FBA for, you know, unless there was some, uh, a long-term goal, whether it be ABA services or, you know, to really get a good idea of what's happening in school so that that appropriate interventions can be implemented so their child can make progress. Okay. So like if, yeah, I'm thinking as a parent, after I've listened to, we've been talking about 15 minutes now and I'm thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, my child needs an FBA. What am I right? Like, what circumstances from a parent's viewpoint would they be able to justify saying this? My child needs an FBA, and then ask the district to perform it. Well, I think typically when the child's behaviors, um, those challenging behaviors, are really interfering with the child's ability to learn and access the curriculum at mm-hmm. school, um, and then that would, you know, that would be and the benefit of the parent and the child to request an FBA so that they can have an appropriate um, behavior intervention plan. Cause you really don't want to implement any behavior strategies or, or interventions without really knowing why those behaviors are occurring. Um, and I think sometimes we may see that happen where, Oh, my child is, um, you know, engaging in tantruming and throwing behaviors. And then, you know, an intervention plan is just suddenly, um, Um, developed without really looking at, well, why is that going on? And what are the circumstances that are triggering this behavior? And what can we do to teach him to do something else instead? So I think that, um, you know, that, that would, those, those circumstances would definitely warrant a parent asking a district for an FBA. Um, If we get a behavior intervention plan without an FBA, then that's not a behavior intervention plan. (laughs) (laughs) I got it. All right. So let's wrap it up a bit here. Um, So is my final question is just talking about the future, you know, in regards to research for an FBA. Is, is, you know, is that still ongoing or is it sort of a settled science and understanding of how to do an FBA and what to look for and what makes up uh, the aspects within it? Well, there's always ongoing research um, regarding the, uh, the effectiveness of FBAs and a functional analysis, you know, done in di- different settings. I mean, for a while, um, there was, you know, research looking there was research looking at how effective it was in school settings because, you know, a school setting obviously is different from home where, you know, you can probably have a little bit more um, freedom and variety to, to manipulate um, situations there. So um, you know, there's ongoing research on how to conduct um, FBAs and functional analysis within the school setting, like I said, using trial-based um, functional analysis, which looks different from the process that, I may typically do in a home setting. Um, there's also, um, you know, ongoing research by Dr. Greg Hanley, who um, looks at um, a more synthesi- synthesized um, functional behavior assessment and possibly looking at another um, function of behavior. I believe he looks at the function of control, which again, right now in the research, um, you know, there's kind of two groups of people who definitely believe that's another um, function and Another group of people who believe, no, that's a, that can be explained by the, the current four functions that we have now. Dr. Denise Heckman, thanks so much uh, for, again for your time today. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.